A new monster with a classic fantasy styling opens up the Japanese kaiju market by the master Ashiro Honda. This is the start of one of Japan's most beloved creatures. This is Kaiju vs. History, Mothra. Hello, and welcome back to another Silk Cocoon-wrapped Power Hour here on Kaiju vs. History. This is your paper-winged protagonist, Patrick, and joining me is my mothy mouth mate, Miles. How are you tonight? I am doing great, because we are in some proper Kaiju territory. <laughs> yeah, well, back to Japan, the last movie... <laughs> We got to see from both Shiro Honda and Toho Studios was Varen, the the unbelievable. And I needed to come back to another one of their Toho scope, another color film and and, and get back to to their their actual classic monsters. Well, and again, I I think that Varen Varen gets a bad shake because we said this a lot in the episode because the situation in which it was made and that is out of everyone else's hands who was making it yeah but here we are at the birth of a a monster who is sometimes even more popular than godzilla themselves yeah yeah at times i think they've actually done polls polls in japan Japan. and i mean there's a reason why they they went with this design they were actually looking to bring in more female audience members and it worked <laughs> people love mothra well that and it's women. one that i think that people always sort of kind of love and don't realize it i remember being in the theater for the opening weekend of godzilla king of the monsters 2016 and when mothra gets a little moment of offense people were like clapping and cheering like they were really excited to see mothra get a little bit of action time and I, I I I think it's just a character that people just somehow really like. There there's a reason for that. We'll talk about when we watch that movie, but it happens a little bit here is they show the fragility of the monster and you immediately project your own <laughs> you know weaknesses onto the monster and I mean Mothra is the underdog, you know. Mothra gets killed in like half of <laughs> their movie appearances. Well, cuz so they always like come back they're, they're like a phoenix <laughs> in moth form <laughs> or you know they're like my children will avenge me i uh, i love mothra it's always been a very very fun monster i don't think i liked mothra or appreciated mothra as much as a kid well so i got mothra in my godzilla movies and i had not been able to see i think any of her solo films until recently and you know that's kind of a shame but i i guess i knew that there was one i don't think i knew about the 90s ones growing up i i didn't because they they weren't you know brought over here you'd have to find them at a you know a, a tape an illegal copy more than likely than anything because i don't think they did translations I, I, until later on i i think you're right i think i want to say i at least i didn't see them movies but i definitely saw the tapes at comic conventions over the years because those bootleg sellers always had 
all of those kind of things or the they would have the uncut japanese versions before you could get them or Mm -hmm. you know the original pilot for buffy with a different cordelia and that kind of thing (laughs) right so we're we're getting into 1961's mothra and miles this is our we had to get through five other giant bug movies in the 1950s but it can you spoil it is it worth it for getting to finally the the be all end all queen of I would have rather skipped to the be all end all queen of giant bugs because I appreciate this so much more compared to what we watched the rest of this of of last year. Mothra is just in a league of a row. Yep. Released on July 30th of, of 1961. Mothra came out then. I think it came out a year later in, in the U.S. So in the U.S. is about to have its 60th anniversary. Did last summer for, for the original Toho release. Before we get started in talking about the queen, I need you to tell us that what's in a title. Once again, a, a good amount. This was an original story idea. Written by uh, Shinichiro Nakamura and the the I think the Stan Lee of Toho Studios is probably the best way to introduce Tomoyuki Tanaka, who pitched the idea. He, he you know he's the one that had the idea for for Godzilla after seeing right. of Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Pitched the idea to write this story that was called The Glowing Fairies of Mothra, that was serialized in January of nineteen sixty one. The you know where exactly the name came from i think is kind of the same thing with godzilla you know it they took masu or moth in in japanese and and put the monster suffix ra on it so it's a monster moth mothra or, or masura in, in the hepburn the the first couple of outlines had different names the giant monster giant monster mothra daikaju masura in Mothra Attacks Tokyo was another of the Japanese titles. In Germany, Mothra Threatens the World. Mexico, Mothra the Indestructible. Uh, I really like the, the Brazilian one, Mothra the Wild Goddess. And I, I like that one as well. The Invincible Wonder Beast in, in Iceland. I'm not even going to try to pronounce Icelandic language, but that's a good one too. But yeah, so, I mean, there's not a lot you can improve upon a great monster name like like Mothra or I, even I I have a soft spot for just Rodan you know five or six letter names and boom you're you're off to the races yeah I mean, most of the the Toho kaiju have pretty fun names that I don't dislike yeah so do you have a, a recap for us Miles is there a way to succinctly kind of put together what this first initial <laughs> outing of Mothra is because it is very different from Godzilla and from Rodan. It is. Uh, well, so one thing is, is you know, the, we've talked about the influence of King Kong on the Japanese imagination. Uh, mm-hmm. They were very, very big fans of King Kong. And like last week's Gorgo, they stepped up and said, okay, well, what if we did King Kong, but we added a completely different context to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, because th- this is essentially what it is. It's a, it's a, a King Kong-like story but instead of capturing the monster, they capture people from the island. Yeah. And 
not just, you know, the Islanders who we get to see a good deal of in this film, but magical fairies that have some kind of psychic link with the monster. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot going on in this, this film. Yeah. I, I really like the twist because, you know, you had this, shipwreck because of a typhoon which so at the beginning of the movie i think this might be a localization issue they talk about this this massive typhoon that's coming from the carolina islands and Mm. i was very very confused (laughs) living living in south carolina and thinking okay well maybe there's another kind of carolina out there and i think the pacific i was able to find caroline islands but not carolina and so i'm wondering if that was some sort of localization typo There might be, I mean, because, you know, it's based on, I think, a British queen. Who who was Carolina? Caroline? I I think there could be islands named named that in the Pacific. It's it's fully possible. I just didn't find it. I found that there were some Pacific islands called the the Carolines. And Uh. so I think that might be the, the, the situation. So they're looking for survivors and they end up finding... I think three men who have survived on this uninhabited island. Mm -hmm. And it was an island that was used for nuclear testing. So when they're taken back to Japan, they notice that none of the men have any radiation poisoning. And they claim it's because of the red juice that the natives gave them. Right, right. Which is an idea that we're going to see in... King Kong versus Godzilla. We got some magical berry juice, but they don't really go into. We actually do see it in some of the later scenes, like it is important to the Islanders for whatever reason, but they don't really go into that too much. You think that would be the thing they're interested right. in finding like, in the island. It's, it's not really brought up again is well, what's this juice you guys have that keeps you from getting irradiated? Because that sounds like something we might need <laughs> in the future. Yeah. But they do send an expedition very similar to the exploratory ship that gets launched in Godzilla and we meet some of our our main characters <laughs> early on then including some reporters the I, I what I would say is actually the 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 main character uh, Shinji Chujo and some potential prota or antagonists in in the film Clark Nelson <laughs> the I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say this wrong every single time but Rolistican Rolisican. <laughs> I believe that's that's close. <laughs> yeah, and they get out to the island and find I guess they just give up on finding the the juice because the islanders kind of are a little antagonistic. But they find a couple of fairy girls. Like I mean they look like tiny little pixies that mm-hmm. are attracted to the 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 sirens on their their suits. And then they leave. They agree it's like, all right, we're not gonna mess with this island. But then they go back, the uh, Relizicans, and capture the girls, which sets off our the rest of our, our plot. Yeah, and <laughs> as Wikizilla will tell you, this obviously, this country is not real. It's <laughs> yeah. supposed to be a, what they call an inoffensive stand-in for both the United States and the Soviet Union, with a name drawing both on Russia and America. Yeah, so the, the Russian name for in in japanese is like rasura and they took the end of of america and i i thought that was that was interesting it it doesn't make a lot of sense for how the movie was produced or 
Well, it's, the, it's the lengths also weird Shiro because Honda went to to not offend people with the Mysterians, you know. Well, that not just that, but like it, they the way the film kind of portrays the countries, they make it seem like it's like a an inland neighbor to Japan. Yeah, yeah, not across the the Pacific, but nearby because that's where they're doing their their testing. I did want to talk a little bit about the historical context of what was happening when the story that Mothra was based on was coming out and the tensions between the U S and Japan at the time, they signed another treaty in January of 1960, the treaty of mutual cooperation and security between the U S and Japan. And it was as hotly contested, if not more so than the one at the end of the occupation of Japan by U.S. forces in 1952, that caused a lot of the tension that we felt in Godzilla in 1954's Godzilla. While there wasn't a lucky dragon or, or what was the, the the Maru, there wasn't an incident like that. There were other incidents with U.S. soldiers, I think, in the late 50s that were causing tensions between the the nations. So the prime minister Kishi Nobusuku Kishi ran through this treaty and did so in a fairly undemocratic way. So there's these very large sets of protests, the ANPO protests that he feared were going to mess up a planned visit by Dwight D. Eisenhower, the president at the time. This is a pretty interesting part of Japanese history, which I would like people to go and, and look into themselves as one of the largest protests in japan's history and yeah uh is one of the reasons there's a lot of anti-american kind of sentiments put forth at the time and put into that mothra story which i mean makes complete sense given what was happening in in history at the time at the time when this movie came out though a year later a lot of those tensions had been eased yes the treaty went through but the that there was a new PM, Prime Minister of Japan, uh, Hayato Ikeda, and he, when a, a fresh-faced John F. Kennedy uh, got into office, he was the first foreign dignitary that his presidency hosted at the White House to really secure the the links between the, the two nations. And that happened one month before this movie premiered. <laughs> and then we have these stand-ins for the, the, the Americans in this film. The, uh, I'm just going to say it wrong every single time. <laughs> It's R-O-L-I-S-I-C-A. Rolisicans, right? I think it's Rolisica. It's it's from, I'm pretty sure it's Rolisica. Yeah. So uh, a made up nation. Rolls off the tongue. (laughs) And we get to see a good deal of it at the the end of this film. And there are a lot of Western looking people, but there's also a lot of Japanese actors in in the nation. So it it was interesting where they wanted this to be, but it joins the annals of a lot of fictional nations. I love Marvel and DC comics does this a lot. And we're, we're eventually going to get the nation of uh, Selgina, the Republic of um, Saradia in, in Godzilla movies. So uh, supposedly the reason for this was they wanted, I, I think Ashira Honda wanted actually perhaps New York for the, for the end of the film, how they were going to get, you know, I guess Mothra just flies wherever she wants, so that makes sense. But yeah, why not? They didn't want to, I guess, offend people by destroying New York, New York landmarks. So we get New Kirk City at the the end of the movie. 
I, I really wish like it had been a premonition and it was called New Donk City. Oh my god, I, I would have been so happy. It's so close. But yeah, that's that's where we get the climax of of this film. Let's talk a little bit about Mothra before we get further into this, because I did a lot of moth and butterfly studies here, Miles. I I, I know more about bugs than I've wanted to. <laughs> and and just for my own personal personal edification and other people's, a lot of people think that Mothra might be a butterfly when you first look at her because you know, they got these super very colorful wings, but Moth is right there in the name. So <laughs> you, get, right. you get tripped up. Do you know that there's not a lot of difference between the two? They're both in like the same family, Lepidoptera, Terra, Lepidoptera. And butterflies are just like a part of a larger branching kind of moth family. The tracks. Moths, though, typically have feathered antennae, especially the males. And furry bodies, which is what we see on Mothra and butterflies are obviously they got more colorful wings, scaled bodies. I think they call them kind of like dragon scale bodies. And yeah, in, in Mothra, we see, you know, colorful wings, but also, I mean, there, there are tons of, of moths that actually have colorful wings and, but there's many that are operate at night. So they don't really need that to kind of spook off predators but in her larval form mothra is like 100 looks like a true silkworm which turns into a silk moth but a silk moth is not as colorful so it is definitely a monster is a different creature kind than an actual normal moth or, or what have you but yeah and that's the thing is it's a fantasy creature like this is from, from a fantasy island it's it's of a traditional kind of uh deity type origin so mm-hmm. you know your 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 common you know classifications aren't necessarily going to jive with it anyway yeah but it's like if someone called godzilla a crocodile and it's like well you're not wrong you're not right <laughs> you're definitely not right I mean, well his, his name isn't croczilla that will come about 40 years later <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a a giant moth who I was surprised at how late in the film we had to wait to see Mothra. Not even in its her flying form, but just in the larval form. It's pretty pretty far into the film. I want to say forty five. Yeah, I feel like this is the longest you have to wait to see the Mothra in in all of her glory than I think any Toho picture. And, yeah. and but but outside of that, we do start to see the beginnings of the themes and styles that would be kind of be what Toho does in the 1960s, their signature style. Yes. And very, Honda, very friendly film by comparison, oh, maybe. Oh, yeah. Godzilla. Well, Honda is quoted in his biography as saying, we wanted to do something that was new for the whole family, like a Disney or Hollywood type of picture. And yeah, that that's a pretty even keel description of what this movie's going for. Yeah, it's surprising that he if that was his goal, he doesn't consider this his most successful film because I think he absolutely nails that. Maybe turn the kid friendliness up just a little bit by having the 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 child whose name escapes me <laughs> right now. It's not Oh gosh. Shinji. It's Shinji? Oh, I can't remember his name. <laughs> 
This is what I get for not having the the note <laughs> or, or the, the 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 page right up in front of me. Yeah, I I was I was all set to like give you a name, and now that I'm I'm being called on, I I don't remember. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it is Shinji, and he's the, kind of the main character's little brother. Yeah, his little brother, even though I guess. By like 15 years. <laughs> His very little brother. Yes. Uh, also, played by, by uh, Akihiro uh, Tayama. I, I, this is not something I traced, but I want to know what is it with kids and red caps that. Oh, man. It's classic. That they, that they love using so often. Like, I, I really love like Ash Ketchum and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> what is it with the, the kid with the red cap? And now that you mention it, so many of the kids in the Godzilla movies have have a red cap. Right. And it, I I didn't think about it until this this little kid shows up who is pretty great. This kid's pretty fearless. And oh, yeah, I love Shinji. And so that's one thing I really liked. And I think in terms of what he was going for with this picture, he doesn't fail at all because you have a very obvious villain in Clark Nelson who. I mean, just uh, Jerry Ito just hams it up to perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my note was uh, Nelson's general like atmosphere has big Tim Curry and Home Alone two energy. That's a good one. Uh, maybe just because I I'm thinking about Spider Man No Way Home. I was thinking of Willem Dafoe because he also has kind of a very uh, a wide grin. His teeth oh are yeah, spaced apart. But- when he captures Shinji, I just really wanted him to go, your stolen credit card. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Like, Shinji's he, eyes go wide. Yeah, he has this this great look. He uh, has His actual physical features remind me a little bit of like a young Udo Kier. Yep. Yeah, I can I can see that. I don't know if we get much more of, of him in other Toho productions. Unfortunately, it seems like the only I, movie that I saw in his filmography that I re, I was familiar with was uh, Gogo Thirteen. Oh right, right, right. Yes, yeah, so the, the actually, uh, Sunny Chiba movie. He shows up a couple times in in later films. Yeah, not not any other giant monster movies, which is odd. And we'll talk about it in the the cast section. But there are a lot of of mainstay Godzilla actors who come back for just tiny cameos in in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get pretty good comic relief in the the form of Fukuda, played oh, by Zen, my my boy Frankie Sakai. Yeah, he's 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 very fun. He <laughs> is film. amazing. You know, one of my favorite characters that we've had so far, just because you know he he comes across as what you would think is being kind of a goofy character. He's a little bit of a bigger guy compared to most of their stars. And you think he would just be this bumbling oaf, but he's actually known as the snapping turtle. Like he's such a good (laughs) uh, newspaper man that he like, when he does his thing, he doesn't let go, but he's also fairly useful in a fight has Mm -hmm. a really good moral compass. And generally like, one of my favorite characters that we've had so far. I mean, we get a Jackie Chan style fight scene with him that yeah. holds up. Like it's yeah, good. It's great. Uh, it's wonderful. Yeah. So sniping turtle in the Japanese version, he's the bulldog <laughs> in the Americanization, which oh, like, I, I, I didn't watch the English version. I should probably should have. Well, there's, 
there's snapping turtles in America. I don't know why. <laughs> Which I mean, I guess he, but both of those <coughs> animal names like fit him so well. Just he's got this very flat, non-assuming face. But yeah, he does he does snap at those guys when he's trying to defend Doctor Chujo. Yeah, this movie does dip into fantasy. And I think that is how are they trying to get in some more families, some more female audience members, make it a little bit more of an adventure film. And yeah, we get a bit more focus on kind of understanding what turns out to be a misunderstood kaiju. You know, like obviously it doesn't seem like Mothra is actually trying to destroy anything. Um, it's just trying to get back, you know, the, the members of their their island and it was kind of done so at the behest of the islanders you know they they summoned it forth from the egg (laughs) yeah and and probably my only quibble with this is i mean so you have characters that have like godzilla who have evolved over time Mm -hmm. and and mothra isn't too too far from her original state although as the series evolves, I think even within the Showa era, Mothra is less just an island deity, but more of a an el- a, a part of the spirit of Earth, and and yeah. that is something that 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 Mothra really uh, embodies, especially in you know her own trilogy and in the Heisei era, and I, I really think, if I'm not mistaken, it's later in the Showa era as well, and. Yeah, that's not completely set here, but it's close. And in, in, in the Mill Creek localization that I I had, I used, I watched the the steel the steelbook Blu-ray they put out a few years ago. The, they the translation they have keeps listing Mothra as a he in this one. You know, I don't know. And typically, Mothra is considered. I know. I, know, I think Mothra Leo is male, but I generally Mothra is depicted as female. Well, this one could be male because i think this one is no i guess it does that doesn't make sense because i want to say he or she dies in their next appearance and leaves behind two eggs i mean maybe that's, the male makes eggs and, and the, that's who knows. that's likely I, I think mothra next pops up in mothra versus godzilla which we'll do in a month or two i think yeah, we'll we'll have to to figure that one out. But it's the same thing with like, well, is road is the first Rodan a guy or a girl? <laughs> Who knows, you know? But there are a lot of fantasy elements that were put into the original story that the movie is based on that we can give pretty sole credit to screenwriter. Though we do get to see the very cool anti radiation suits when they're exploring Infant Island. <laughs> probably worth it just for that <laughs> but honda wanted to show a scene of the atomic bomb testing site on the island it got cut unfortunately for for budgetary concerns but it, it just it seems like something that they mentioned it's like oh well is this a mutated you know monster egg does this have something to do with it but i don't think so because the ancient I, people of the island also worship Mothra. <laughs> right. I'm I'm kind of glad they took that aspect out because I I enjoy the fantasy element of Mothra. I, yeah. I like that there are monsters that have just been here and only appear when necessary. And you know, I I, I like that you brought up uh Sekizawa because Sekizawa you could also call an architect of the Showa era because I believe oh, yeah. he writes almost every single entry 
with the exception of a couple. And even those, I think he worked on the story. Yep. Yep. You know, we don't mention him as far part of the filmmaking kind of trio of a lot of Ashir Hondo with Subaraya and uh, Akira Ifakube, but very important at getting those scripts in to the director's hand, doing a lot of pre-vis and, and, and making up a lot of the ideas that eventually will light up the, the screen. He's very important, especially to, to this era of, of filmmaking. And, you know, like I said, for the most part, his ideas were probably the ones that uh, Shira Honda should have stuck with. But I mean, there's some things that they pared down. The original story, there were four fairies and very wisely after, after finding the peanuts, maybe they, they pared it down to two twins, the Shobijin played by Emmy and Yumi Ito. And unfortunately, I just mentioned him, but we do not get Akira Ifukube in this film as he didn't feel he was confident enough to, you know, make songs for this rising pop duo and, and, and gave the project to uh, composer Yuji uh, Koseki. And for the most part, I thought the beginning of the movie had some very strong musical notes. I love the peanut song, but there's not a lot of oomph to the soundtrack that, you know, the, the Godzilla one, for example, had. No, I, I, I agree with you. However, I think they are, they're, they're reckon there's a recognition of that, that they want something else. And I think because you have the Mothra song. Yeah. That's so prominently portrayed, you don't really need a bombastic theme because you've already got some that stands out. Yeah. And it's, if not as recognizable uh, as many of Godzilla's themes, it's maybe even more recognizable in some places because it's an actual, you know, song with, with lyrics that we get to see in a lot of different media, a lot of different places and was very popular at the time because the peanuts were, were rising in, in popularity. What was I, what was I going to say about the song? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I was just, I mean, I've done so much research and I probably should have written it all in my notes, but yeah, they, they, they wrote down the lyrics, you know, wrote it in Japanese originally, and the song is performed in the movie in Malaysian. Though they did do a Japanese version, you know, of the song eventually when it became very popular. I think they used that in the sequels, but it's sung in a Malaysian language that they just got a university student to translate and and you know, I guess do out phonetically. So the I, I do not believe that the Ito twins were, were able to speak the language, but that's how they mm. originally did the song. And it's great. Both songs in the movie are great. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of them. Yes, it doesn't have the thematic oomph of a Godzilla film. However, again, I just don't think this movie needs it, especially with the kind of movie they're going for. Yeah, like we don't need a really driving song for the destruction sequence because that's not really what's happening you know <laughs> so much of the the actual action is them go trying to just get mothra away and and get the the twins back in its possession this film came out in may of, of 1962 in japan it was double billed in places with a film called cheers mr awamori which i think was a comedy in the u.s it was paired with the three stooges in orbit which is pretty pretty fun that the they were going for lighter films on this double bill both sides of the pacific it was a columbia pictures partner that partnership to to bring it to the u.s 
and they wanted the ending to take place in a U.S. like city, which is why there's an alternate ending of the film that was scrapped, where I believe the Craig or Clark Nelson character was going to be hit with a wind wall from <laughs> Mothra and knocked into a volcano. Like he drags the twins up there maybe to threaten them or maybe drag Shinji up there to, to threaten the kid to, to get the girls back. And that, that was scrapped maybe rightly. So I don't, I would have liked to have seen that. We do know that that parts of that were shot before they were kind of shut down. I, I did watch the American version as, as well in, in preparing for this. Cause I've not seen it before. I don't believe and they cut out 10 minutes of the film. I, I want to say the Japanese is a hundred minutes long and the, the American version is 90. Part of that is they cut out the second per- performance of the, the peanuts. And it's like, come on, that was, that was great. I don't know <laughs> if they're looking to cut stuff, why that had to happen, but right. Pretty amazing effects in this movie. Uh, we can talk about probably some of our favorite scenes. It might be some of these effects scenes. But once again, it's just EJ Subaraya and his team going above and beyond. Another couple amazing location kind of shots. Awesome suits and models. We got Haru Nakajima in the Mothra suit, which is one of their largest that they ever make at 22 feet long. <laughs> does, Jeez. does that seem right i mean i guess if you're talking about the body length and the wings but it was massive i mean because it fit a person in the largest one of course to to move the the wings along and yeah that because they were shooting it over some of the sets it made some of the sets some of the largest that they made the dam sequence used like four thousand gallons of water it stood 13 foot tall and its base and its frame was made out of actual, I think, poured concrete. So they actually had trouble destroying it because it had to, you know, support the weight of all this water that they filled in there. That sequence looks great. The Tokyo Tower looks amazing in this film. There's some stuff that just looks, doesn't look miniature. It doesn't look like a model, you know? Yes. And I mean, they were giving them time and the money, then this is what you get. You get something that, that lasts and I mean for my money it's crazy that there's no other place on in Hollywood or, or elsewhere in the world where they're making movies like this you know this is I'm, I'm trying to think of something equivalent in the early 1960s in, in Hollywood and I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank well, well no because this is why I've had such a reaction to the movies that they were putting out in the 50s is <laughs> It's it's not even just me wanting to dunk on some movies. Like I was genuinely looking forward to seeing and comparing what was coming out of the states at the same time and tracing that. But but the fact of the matter is, a lot of those movies are pretty soulless. And that's you know I commented about about Gorgo and some of the English pictures because while they were on the right track, they're missing something. And you know when you watch Mothra, you can clearly see what it is. You know, even though Mothra doesn't pop up for very long, the whole movie gives you her personality. It gives you, and then she's not there just to wreck stuff. You know mm-hmm. that there there is a pathos to the creature. And well, yeah, we we have a way in with the Shobijin. You know, we we are immediately sympathetic to their their plight as well as Mothra's. Yeah, and well, the, not only that, but but when you see. 
what happens? You're like, yeah, this, this all tracks because they even say it's not as simple as telling Mothra what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. They are, Mothra is just going to try to get them and return to the island. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And yeah. that was so interesting to me because, I mean, it's back to the idea that these monsters are a force of nature instead of, I mean, and, and this kind of ruffles a little bit with what I've said before about these monsters being characters, but they are more forces of nature than specific characters at this time, but they have character. Yeah. Well, we get to see what, when they start. I mean, in a couple of weeks when they start fighting one another, their character against one another. But it's like, I mean, I guess the the analogy of like we are like ants to them, you know. Well, and that, ants so probably funny. aren't concerned about our our emotional state when they're we're destroying their cities. Well, what's what's so funny that you, that you mentioned that because yeah, we're we're like ants to them. But you gotta imagine like what the the twins are. To Mothra, because they're even <laughs> yeah. smaller than us. Well, if if a couple of ants could psychically talk to me, I would probably be very interested in their survival as well. Be like, wait, where are you? And just like start walking around my backyard. You're around here somewhere. All, you know, in the meantime, I'm destroying all kinds of other ant hills and things like that. It is a strained analogy, but it kind of works for how Mothra is is acting in this. And you know, she's not destroying anything on purpose. Like we don't really see her angry you know she's just like you said just doing what she has to and right it's kind of, it's kind of the same uh, the the ending of this movie is like well something akin to a hurricane or a typhoon is destroying new kirk city and we have a way to stop it by like kind of making an offering to this, yeah, this ancient god well and so this also flies in the face of what i was saying several weeks ago about now that you know we've established the kaiju film Mm -hmm. there's very little need for these monsters to have a solo movie unless you have a good story to tell because at this point in time even with introducing new monsters i really just kind of want to see them fight another monster yeah or have them interact with the world in interesting ways so i mean even when we get to you know, later reincarnations of Godzilla, where it's just, you know, 1984's Godzilla, for example, it's interesting to see how the world reacts. Right. And, and there's, there's a good reason why that movie, the 98 American film and Shin Godzilla, I think the only other Godzilla entries where Godzilla doesn't fight another creature. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, part of their, their plot is their, more about humans reacting to to a mantra in that mm. situation. And, that and said, the same thing here. Well, I would say that said, Mothra is good because it gives you a good original story that mm. is definitely very influenced by the King Kong story, and it is the the emotion of the people that is is the heart of the story. You know, the monster is the force that's coming, and it's about this choice. Like, well, if, if you just let the two twin beauties go back to the island. You're not going to have to worry about any of this. Yeah, that's fun. And, <laughs> you know, talking about, I mean, a, a great plot device, you know, that the twins are so much of the movie revolves around them. Like, Oh, the, the Ro- Rosilican Lizican government is like backing down and they're saying it's okay that, 
you know, the, the Japanese government cracked down and yada, yada. There's, <laughs> there's so much of that plot element, just basically using them like a football <laughs> in the movie, <laughs> yeah. uh, kicking them kind of back and forth. And the kid gets involved and tries to steal them and they develop special psychic wave blocking cages <laughs> for them. There's, there's so much about, I mean, there's, there's actually more about the twins than there is Mothra in this movie. Yeah, but they're, 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 there's they're a lot of up. stuff going on. And I, I like that, you know, Honda always usually has a theme that he's working with. And this one's definitely, you know, really about human greed and, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of influence that that kind of mindset has and what it does to, say, the planet. And yeah, I, I thought that's a, a really, really good place for him to start. I, I think this is a really solid movie. He directs the hell out of it. And we're, we're going to see kind of similar themes, similar characters show up in the next two giant monster movies by him, like true monster movies, King Kong versus Godzilla and Godzilla versus Mothra, <laughs> where we have some other hilarious greedy businessmen like characters show up as as antagonists yeah that's that's often the case here yeah and still some very stoic and honorable scientist or reporter like characters as our our main cast for for the film we haven't talked too much about shinichi shujo the main protagonist here the linguist played by hiroshi kazumi but uh, we did see him as uh, Shoichi in Godzilla Raids again. I didn't really recognize him. I mean, sometime, no, I didn't either. Some time has passed, but I mean, the fact and this that, is in color. Yeah, this is that was a black and white film. This is in color, and they do manage to make him look a lot more distinguished. He, he was a uh, pilot in in that movie, mm-hmm. so he is is pretty great here. We do get to see him reprise this role. That which you know happens a couple times in Toho and you know Godzilla history, but we will see him in as that character in 2003's Godzilla Tokyo SOS, one of the the Millennium series. Which uh, it's been a while; it's been a few years since I've seen it. But I really enjoyed that one, and I think I'll probably enjoy it a little bit more after watching this movie and, and maybe right before it. I. Uh... I think I liked that one. The Millennium Era is very, very weird. And I mean, we'll talk more about it when it when it gets here, but it, it often gets a bad rap. But it's usually it typically has some pretty decent little movies. They're just not the Heisei era was such a a watershed moment in Kaiju history that yeah. it's it's hard to do something different, even though this is still technically the Heisei era, but they had to call it something else because they rebooted it. So, yeah, after the reboot, I, I can understand why they wanted to have a different s- series, but I was surprised they didn't do any kind of continuations or or sequels outside of the single duology of that one, which, of course, we'll talk about it. But after rewatching them recently, I really enjoy all of them. There's not one that I they're they're all really fun. Yeah. I, I mean, mean the, the if you listen to our say, but. Yeah, if you listen to our old The More You Nerd month where I, I curated some Godzilla films for Patrick and our friend Drew, I, I selected to to finish that out with Godzilla Final Wars, which is a just a personal favorite of mine. That movie is <laughs> wild. Yep. Ray Kitamura is a, a director I, I like very, very much because of his film Versus, but mm-hmm. that isn't Mothra. So 
pop back to Mothra. Mothra, like I said, I, I, I mentioned we do get Shimura as a newspaper editor in a couple of scenes, but also Harada and Sahara have very small cameos, like blink and you miss them cameos in the film. So, you know, some other Godzilla and Rodan stars showing up here, even though I was surprised, yeah, that we, we get Frankie Sakai and, and a couple other new actors to to the roster. I I really do think this movie is some of the, the first cementing of that Toho formula that we're going to see for the rest of the, the 60s. This feels a little bit more like what people think of when they think of 60s kaiju films than, than the other ones. Rodan is a little more horror. Godzilla is like a just straight up war drama. <laughs> and you maybe you can say the same thing about Godzilla raids again, but yeah. Do you have a favorite scene? Something that, that you remember from, from this watch through. So I, I love the moment that Shinji tries to rescue the, tw- the the twin beauties because <laughs> that kid literally tries to punch these guys in the face. That kid is fearless <laughs> and it's great because they take him out with like no problem. But that kid is scrappy. I, uh, I don't I don't understand how they made him uh, Shujo's nephew or or whatever. It seems like he'd be related to Frankie Sakai's. Uh, yes, Buddha. I I, I absolutely <laughs> agree. There's there's so many scenes. I like the exploration of infant island oh, yeah. i i love the the damn scene and the, the any of those destruction scenes with mothra they look great like you see cars flying through windows oh man at the just, end the cars are like picked up like they're in a hurricane and they they feel like they both have weight and they're weightless at the same time it was, it was pretty yeah, magical the the model work for new york city was tremendous all the compliments i gave to gorgo last week are almost kind of overshadowed by how good New Dirk City looks and <laughs> that sequence is like, and this is not to really besmirch Gorgo. It's just like, man, just watching the watching the masters work, you're like, okay, yeah, that's that's the difference between good and great. I'm I, gonna I call it. Yeah, I'm gonna let you know when Subaraya falls off his game and starts phoning it in, but it is not this movie. That is for sure. <laughs> I mean, there's there's there, there's a point in the, in the latter of the Showa era where yeah, they don't they don't have money, so they all those models are not great, but they're also super fun. So like, mm-hmm. I don't, I probably won't knock it, but the model used in this movie is just excellent. The 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 Mothra suits are are great. We actually get like between actual suits that their actors inside and smaller props and things that they use. There's like five different Mothra suits and, and things like that. I I think this started with a, a pretty superior script. I think the ideas represented here go toe to toe with Rodan Godzilla, but Ishiro Honda definitely feels more comfortable as a director in this movie. You know, I, I feel like, the actors, their performances just work a little bit better here. And maybe that's partly because it's a little more family friendly. There's a little more comedy in in the movie. But yeah, everyone seems <laughs> not that they weren't in the other movies, but they seem very excited to to be there. And it it turns itself into a commercial, very palatable product. For, that could be viewed anywhere. I, I honestly 
outside of the kind of poor dubbing that that we got in the U.S. version of the film, I would have imagined children here in the U.S. would have been stoked to see this kind of movie. I mean, yeah. this is there's so much like live action cartoon stuff about this. And yeah, I think it ages well as well. It kind of looks pretty far advanced in terms of technology of filmmaking at the time. They do use blue screen and have some problems with edges. But there's a couple of scenes, including dancers behind the the show vision during their their performance that it looks it looks amazing. Like there's no blur. There, there's not a lot of that background there, but the the bit that they use looks awesome. Are there things that didn't work for you in the movie, Miles? Something that probably is a missed opportunity or I, I do feel that so the the American version is about eleven minutes shorter. Yeah. And I actually think that probably could have worked a little bit better. There are some moments where I feel the movie spins its wheels just a little bit. I know ne- I'm never not enjoying myself, mm-hmm. but there's a couple times where things might feel a little repetitious or it just kind of feels like we're, we're circling something and it doesn't quite always get to the, the point of the scene. I think we spend a little more time in the larval form <laughs> than we do in, in full moth form, which is like, Wow, I would not have called that, but it makes sense because it's the first time we're seeing it go through that process of transformation, you know. But yeah, that I I agree with you. It it was good, but that dubbing there's some some bad parts of that dubbing. Oh, I mean, I I would I I'm not surprised about parts that, that are they're just weird, <laughs> weird, and some parts bad, and others. There's a lot of brown face in this movie, which. You know, yeah, that's that's I mean, that's definitely awkward. It's not going to stop in any uh, capacity in, in Toho films for a while, but it just makes me it, it makes it all the more crazy that in 1933 that didn't happen in King Kong. Like for all the 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 problems with with the race that movie had at the time, they actually used. I mean, maybe it was che- maybe it was cheaper than putting and it's so weird because the actors on Infinite Island, not all of them were like in full makeup, you know, I guess there were like 60 of them. So that makes sense. But that those those scenes especially didn't seem that important. I did like the juxtaposition between the dancers on stage in new. No, I guess they're not in New Kirk City, though, in the Japanese little fairy princess scene <laughs> and then they cut mm-hmm. back to the island where they're like worshiping this giant egg and you're like what is going on here yeah <laughs> i feel like if they had done that today it would be a lot more quick cuts and then they would have like a psychic emanation it's like oh, no mothra's here now <laughs> that kind of thing but right that that was interesting and we do see the juice in that scene which is just like looks like thinned out red paint <laughs> i don't know if there's it's supposed to be blood of some kind or something but it was really red maybe yeah, it's I, maybe, I, maybe it's the juice that they feed kind of i actually calm. wouldn't have minded spending a little more time on the island you know it goes by very quickly i, I was surprised as well because it didn't seem like they achieved their goals for what they were <laughs> looking for there they just find these little girls these teeny little fairies and they're like okay we gotta leave yeah yeah and maybe that's that's a failing that shira honda should have showed that bomb crater but at the time critics were pretty 
I mean, they enjoyed this movie. They they really singled out the special effects here in the U.S. It was a big hit in Japan. A.H. Wheeler of the New York Times said, as fantastic as the plot can be, there's some very penetrating moments. They contrasted the approaching terror of those patient, silver-voiced little dolls waiting rescue. Several of the special effects were brilliant, such as the sight of a giant cocoon nesting against the large city's power station tower. I guess they didn't understand what a radio tower uh, or, or Tokyo tower was <laughs> there. But yeah, for the most part, this is pretty well regarded historically. I, I don't think we mentioned last week, but Gorgo is not very popular these days. Whereas this right. is we, we, pretty... we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I looked at it the rotten tomatoes and there's there's like a thousand reviews for gorgo and they're pretty low this movie not so much pretty high, pretty high for mothra right i mean what's what's there to say about the legacy for this character that people probably I mean, don't already know because it's part of popular culture yeah Mo- mothra is one of the most popular monsters out there definitely most of them viable yeah, I mean, this is one, as we mentioned at the top of the show, this is one who sometimes in polls is more popular than Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I would definitely say it's probably one of the most recognizable kaiju in in the world. Yeah, I think there was a time during the 90s, those Heisei films where Mothra was uh, w- was beating Godzilla, you know, as, as far as... Oh, the box office? Goes. Well, well, yeah, because I, I don't know about box office numbers some films i think did better there but yeah it's because kids were loving those those mothra films oh yeah plus you have i think the the death Ghidorah or desi Ghidorah. yeah cool. yeah there's there's a lot of love in, in those so yeah with with plenty of you know appearances for solo films as the main attraction and hundreds of pop culture references in her 61 year history i think you know oh yeah and you get the direct sequel in you know three short years in Godzilla versus Mothra, you've got a lot to in terms of a legacy. I mean, sure, it's not the 30 plus films Godzilla has, but Mothra is a pretty top tier monster. Yeah, yeah. We get the peanuts coming back, I think, as well as the 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 Shobijin in the Godzilla versus Mothra movie. I think I looked that up. But call them something different in that one maybe they, they call them something different in almost like every incarnation of godzilla but for the most part they're usually still little fairy creatures legendary unfortunately didn't have the <laughs> didn't have the guts required to to make little twin fairies but uh, i i was a little bummed out i mean i guess i guess l was or <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown was supposed to be, <laughs> yeah, like, she was a, like connection a, stand, to a stand-in, but they didn't really make that as abundantly clear, <laughs> and they didn't quite make that connection quite quite what I wanted it to be. But yeah, it was it was still good. So I think now comes a time where we're gonna we're gonna rate this this, this bad boy. Both Patrick and myself use a scale of one to ten to individually look at personal enjoyment, technical and aesthetic elements of the film as well as the emotional and evocative responses that this generates as a piece of art. So let's start, Patrick, with your personal enjoyment. Yeah, it, it it's very high. I, I, I'd probably rate this one of the higher films. And it, I think it's really our 
our launching pad for the 1960s. And this feels like a worthy successor to to Godzilla or, or worthy opponent that we that we'll see eventually. Uh, I enjoyed this throughout. I think like you, there are parts that dragged a little bit, but I still enjoyed the, even some of the, the quieter ports where we're like, you know, we're still waiting for Mothra. I gave it a nine out of 10. And I think I'm sticking with that score. I can't see myself watching this one again the same way I would watch Rodan again, which I enjoyed, I think, equally. I think I give that a nine, too. Yeah, I've been waffling back and forth on. I I think this film is great. It's a great film. And I think I'm going to stick with the nine as well. I I, I was going to ding it a little bit for the the scripting. Mm-hmm. But we've also had very few nines, so this this is definitely a standard to set yourself against. I think the characters are extremely fun. The monster looks phenomenal. Mothra, uh, as a character, is really interesting. The overall story is solid. The special effects are excellent. This is definitely one. Now, sometimes the ones I choose to rewatch are usually the easiest to watch, yeah. and. And so I may not always go back to this one, but as in terms of like, hey, if I'm giving someone like a template of what they need to be watching, this is definitely going to be on the curriculum because Mothra needs to be seen by more people. I feel like people know the character, but possibly haven't seen her original solo film. Yeah. And I, I think if you're a kaiju fan, this is a must watch. If you're talking about solo films, I think this is probably the most entertaining between Godzilla Rodan and 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 this one probably a good one to show show folks diving into to the universe oh what about the technical aspects our, our good friend Subaraya the direction the music well I mean as we've we've mentioned the the suit is awesome the pu- the puppetry is great in both the larva form and Mothra the special effects are generally amazing. The model of New York City is great. The destruction is just phenomenal, especially like seeing this in color mm-hmm. and just how well they handled that sequence. Digging a little bit for the script. And, you know, like we said, it, it does tend to spend well, just a little bit. And I don't ding it for the music because you have the iconic Mothra song. Mm. I think all of the rest of the music is pretty solid. It supports the scenes they're supposed to do. Nothing stand out, but because you have that iconic tune and those Twin Beauty songs carrying the movie, I think that's all you need. Yeah, I wish we had like a, a Mothra theme, like Godzilla's theme that could be played like under her action. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said. The, but Mothra even in future so movies, good. they often play that as Mothra is like flying towards the, yeah. the the land so uh yeah it's, it's another nine i agree with you there i think i'm giving it a nine as well it is on par i think with super Raya's work in the previous two standalone movies for sure I, I mean for the miniature stuff though this is even a step beyond uh rodan which i which i gave i think a 10 to but yeah, there are some aspects of the rest of the movie technically that do feel not rushed, but just not as up to snuff. I do like the matte paintings that we see in in a lot of the movie, including Infant Island and in the forest there. I was actually, I mean, we did mention it. There's so much stuff we did mention, but I was very surprised by the scenes in the jungle. We get to see a vampire plan apparently attack Chujo. 
but it didn't feel like they were ever on a set there, which they definitely were. I don't think they were in, in a, a jungle filming, but it looked great. You know, the production value just through the roof, but a nine out of 10 is still super high. And yeah. I think, yeah, is deserving of, of that. Maybe not perfect, but close to it for where this stands as a evocative piece of art. This works as a great movie and a great monster movie. This obviously has a lot of ripples throughout kaiju cinema outside of introducing us to a character that's going to be extremely popular. It itself as a film, like even if they never made another Mothra movie, would go down as one of the best kaiju films. Like, I mean, Rodan never gets another solo film, but Mm. I still think that movie is pretty singular, you know, but this one has an an even longer legacy. So I gave it a nine out of 10 as well. I've also given it a nine. Uh, Mothra. Yes. Doesn't quite have the wide reaching name power that Godzilla has for maybe some people in the West, but I, I would, I would wager that more often than not, people would at least recognize the name or the creature. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's and those, I think I could show a picture to my mom and she would probably know who Mother is or just some random person who might not have seen the movies, you know? Right. And so, as we said before, you know, Mothra has had her own set of, of trilogy of movies, has appeared in many Godzilla films, video games, comics, and many pop culture references. I I feel like if you, if you, I mean... If you're interested in kaiju, of course you know who Mothra is, and that that's a that's a good barometer I have. Like, if you are somewhat interested in monster movies, then you of course know who Mothra is, and yeah, that that kind of of legacy can't be overstated. So yeah, I'm I'm even though it's not quite on the level of Godzilla worldwide, it's mm. really close. And so yeah, I'm giving it a nine. Nines across the board. I I, I could have seen that coming. This feels like. An important movie. So the final score for the Kaiju versus history rating for this film is a nine out of 10, which we've only seen a couple of other times here in the podcast, but definitely worth it. Mighty Joe Young was one of them. King Kong Mm -hmm. and and Rodan. So this is a very good company. Yeah. And that's kind of where I I like to see some of this stuff. I mean, I, I as the Showa era continues, I might give some people might consider some movies I would give high scores, maybe not quite deserving, but <laughs> I do want to have at least a set standard for like some of these classics are in this, this area. It's why it's why I couldn't give Gorgo like even, uh, you know, an eight because yeah. it doesn't quite, it, it needs to be a couple rungs below this. You yeah, know? If, it, and it feels like this is not one that gets talked about that much, just like Rodan. And I think it should, I think Ashira Honda, I, working at 100% is worthy of your time. I completely agree. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. Get the episodes as soon as they come out by subscribing and, you know, liking or commenting down the episodes if you've you found them on like an app or whatever. We like people getting to get inspired to watch more Kaiju films and putting our podcast out there hopefully does that. Thanks, Miles, for Thank for, you. for coming here. And and I, oh, this is your outro. You got it. You got it, Miles. Sorry, I'm about to take it over for you. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> what what's coming up next week? All right. 
So we're going to catch you next time as the Ashura Honda hype train continues and we look into the far off frightening year of 1979 where rogue planets and giant walruses? Hey, you heard that right. Yeah, each threaten mankind. That's right. Tune in next week for History versus Gorath. <laughs>